This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome into the Star Wars Legends Lounge, the show that celebrates the books from Star Wars Legends. I'm Aaron Motes. On today's episode, I'm going back to the list of Legends books that I haven't read yet. It's the first book in the Coruscant Knights trilogy, shortly after the fall of the Republic and the rise of the Galactic Empire. It's Jedi Twilight by Michael Reeves. I checked out my list, and after finishing Jedi Twilight, That leaves only 18 more that I haven't read. And of course, I'll be knocking out two more when finishing this trilogy. But before I get to the summary, we received a listener question. It's very, very exciting. Today's question comes from a new listener, Chad. Chad says, Hey, my name's Chad, big fan of the books and kind of new to them. I've read about 10 books, the Bane series being my favorite. And I love listening to your podcast. It's a great preview slash review of the book. I use it to figure out if I want to read the whole thing. I do have a question, though. What is canon? I keep hearing that term on your podcast and reading it online, and I don't know what it means. Thank you for the great work. Well, thank you very much for the email, Chad. Before I answer your question, I want to express my sincere appreciation that you use this podcast to help you decide if you want to read some of these stories. As I've said before, I love the Legends line of Star Wars books. That's why I started this show, to get the word out there to Star Wars fans who want to read some of these fun stories. So, thank you very much for the nice words, Chad. Now, to address your question. What is canon? Man, it's a simple question, but it's a bit complicated to answer. So, let's start out with the dictionary definition. Canon is defined as a general law, rule, principle, or criterion by which something is judged, or a collection or list of sacred books accepted as genuine. Now, if we expand that definition a little bit to include other media, such as movies, TV shows, video games, or comics, the Star Wars canon is everything produced since the Disney acquisition in 2012, plus the first six movies in the Skywalker saga and the Clone Wars animated series produced by George Lucas and Dave Filoni. In layman's terms, I think of canon as the events in the Star Wars saga that actually happened. Currently, the canon stories are the 11 films, episodes 1 through 9 of the Skywalker saga, plus Rogue One, 
and Solo. The Clone Wars animated series that began in 2007, which included Ahsoka Tano and Captain Rex, the Rebels, Bad Batch, and Resistance animated shows, the Mandalorian and Boba Fett live-action shows, and of course we've got some more coming, the story modes in the Battlefront 2, Jedi Fallen Order, and Squadrons video games, and of course we have some more video games coming this year and next year as well, and the books and comics published since Disney acquired Star Wars in October 2012. Everything else is Legends. They were the stories and shows produced prior to the Disney acquisition, except for the films and the Lucas and Filoni Clone Wars animated series. I like to think of Legends as stories that regular folks within the Star Wars universe tell each other about the characters that we have come to love. Those stories are just embellished or simply made up. It's kind of like the stories about the first U.S. president, George Washington. Now, everybody knows the stories, but did George actually have wooden dentures or throw a silver dollar across the Potomac River? No. The Potomac River is way too wide to throw a silver dollar across, and we actually have George Washington's dentures. They're not wooden. But those stories add to the myth surrounding George Washington. The Star Wars Legends stories didn't really happen within the Star Wars galaxy. But for me, the Legends stories add to the myths surrounding our Star Wars heroes. Some people prefer the stories and legends. Some folks are canon junkies and only want to consume the canon stories. Those are the ones they prefer. And you know what? That's perfectly fine. Unfortunately, there are some bad apples in both camps that can make it difficult to feel welcome in the Star Wars fandom because they constantly bash the stories on the other side and those fans. And I get it. Those people are loud. They can dominate the conversation. But honestly, I think most people that like Star Wars can pick and choose what they like. They can enjoy both canon and legend stories. Knights of the Old Republic is considered by most people to be the best Star Wars video game produced so far. Knights of the Old Republic is Legends. But Jedi Fallen Order, another video game that many people love, is canon. And guess what? They're both fun to play. And that's the thing I hope Star Wars fans understand. There are great stories in both canon and Legends. Now, I'm a huge Legends fan. I love most of the books in the X-Wing and New Jedi Order series. And even though I haven't read as many canon novels, there are four or five that I've read that are just as good as any of my favorite Legends books. So, I know I went off on a little tangent there, Chad, but to circle back around to the crux of your question. Canon is the group of Star Wars stories whose events actually happened within the universe. Legends are stories about the Star Wars characters that may not have really happened, but I like to think of them as stories that enhance the myths surrounding those characters. Both canon and legends have stories that are fun, and I hope Star Wars fans enjoy them both. Thank you very much for the email, Chad, and thank you for listening to the podcast. Now, 
it's time for today's book, Jedi Twilight by Michael Reeves, book number one in the Coruscant Knights trilogy. Grab yourself a drink, and let's head in to the Star Wars Legends Lounge. Today's summary is going to be a little shorter than normal, because for me, this book is really kind of a set up story. It's a short, simple, contained plot that feels like it's setting up a bigger story in the remaining two books of the trilogy. But that'll leave more time to analyze my thoughts in the second half of the podcast. The story begins about three months after the rise of the Galactic Empire. The Jedi Order has been all but wiped out and Darth Vader leads Imperial troops in mopping up the few Jedi and Padawans that escaped Order 66. A squad of stormtroopers chases Master Even Peel through the Coruscant underworld, trapping him in an abandoned building. The stormtroopers attack, mortally wounding Master Peel, but before he dies, an underground rebel commando team, led by Nick Rostu, surprises the stormtroopers, chasing them off. With his dying words, Master Peel tells Rostu about a droid that contains information vital to the burgeoning rebellion. He tells Rostu to find his former apprentice, Jax Pavan. He'll be able to find the droid. Now, Rostu isn't the only one looking for Jax. The protocol droid I-5 and the former Celestin news reporter, Den Durr, are also looking for him. I-5 is trying to fulfill the last wish of his former owner, Lorne Pavan, Jax's father, with Den's help. The two have been searching the Coruscant underground since a few months before the Republic fell. But searching for one man on a planet of trillions is harder than looking for a needle in a haystack. But I-5 is adamant that Jax is hiding in the lower levels near the ruins of the former Jedi Temple. And he's right. Jax is living in disguise as a regular citizen, working odd jobs along with the Twi'lek Jedi, Loranth Tarek. The two are working for Roko the Hutt, who is also looking for this important droid. But they failed to this point, and it's not wise to upset a Hutt. But before Roko can decide what to do with Jax and Larenth, I-5 and Den show up at the Hutt's den, hoping to buy information from the crime lord about where Jax might be hiding out. Well, conveniently, they run right into Jax and Larenth in the halls of Roko's lair. I-5 introduces himself, telling Jax that he was sent to find the young Jedi by Jax's father. Well, so what? Jax asks the droid. He has no memories of Lorne Pavan. The Jedi have been his family since he can remember. As I-5 tries to explain his mission to Jax, the Empire descends on Roko's lair. The group of four flees into the underground, but the chase is short. The troopers have the guns and the numbers, but Jax and Larenth know the maze of Coruscant's lower levels. They quickly lose the stormtroopers and form a plan to find the droid and help the new rebellion. Elsewhere on Coruscant, there's a problem in the criminal organization Black Sun. There's an open Vigo position, and underlord Dal Perry is trying to mediate the situation. There are two combatants, the falling prince Shizor and Caird, the Nadiji assassin. Perry didn't become Underlord by being stupid. He's smart, cunning, and ruthless, 
and he knows that Shizor doesn't just have his eyes on the open Vigo position. The ambitious Faline wants to control Black Sun and remove Perry as Underlord. Perry knows that Caird also has an ulterior motive in becoming Vigo. Caird has been away from his home planet of Najij for decades, and he wants to go home. Caird hopes becoming Vigo will let him save the money to allow him to retire in comfort on Nadij. Perry tells Caird that if he assassinates Prince Shizor, the Underlord will promote Caird to Vigo and allow him to eventually leave Black Sun and return home. The catch? Caird must kill Shizor here on Coruscant and make it look like Black Sun had nothing to do with it. Caird stalks Shizor as the Faline goes about his business on the upper levels. Caird follows Shizor and a droid as the two go into a corridor, and he attacks, firing a volley of poison darts at the Faline. But the attack fails. Shizor avoids the darts, stunning Caird, and then it hits him. Shizor had prepared an ambush for Caird. He knew this was going to happen. As the Najiji tries to fire another volley of darts, the corridor erupts in blue fire. The droid accompanying Shizor had fired a stun volley, paralyzing Caird. The Nadiji falls to the floor. Prince Shizor bends down and asks if Underlord Perry ordered the attack. Again, Caird is stunned, but not by any weapon. How did Shizor know? But before he could guess, Caird falls unconscious. Nick Rostu continues searching for Jax Pavan but he's caught up in an Imperial raid and brought to the office of Heinenum Tyke Reinen, an Iloman working for Darth Vader. Reinen is caught between a rock and a hard place. The Iloman needs to do Vader's bidding and do a good job, or he'll face the consequences. But he knows the Dark Lord will eventually need him no more, and he'll be erased. So, Reinen needs an exit strategy, and Rostu just might be that exit plan. Reinen brings Rostu to Vader. The Sith Lord tells Rostu he knows of the burgeoning rebel underground and Rostu's connection with it. He gives Rostu a choice. Find Jack's Pavan or suffer the consequences. But Rostu is a decorated veteran of the Clone Wars. He knows Vader might torture him. He might kill Rostu. But the former soldier will never betray a comrade. However, there are worse things than death, as Rostu soon finds out. Vader uses the Force to invade his mind. It's agony. But through the pain, Rostu sees visions of his homeworld, of Harun Kal, and sees what Vader will do to his home community if Rostu refuses. Exhausted and terrified, Rostu submits to the Dark Lord's demands. As he leaves, Vader tells Reinen to make sure Rostu fulfills the mission. He'll hold Reinen personally responsible. Meanwhile, Shizor and the droid transport Caird to the far side of Coruscant, into the factory district. Caird can't understand why he's still alive. But, as Shizor leads the Nadiji into an abandoned nuclear factory, Caird is in for another shock. Waiting for them is Underlord Dal Perry. Of course, the droid that Jax and Larenth are searching for is the one with Prince Shizor. Their group tracks Shizor and the droid to the abandoned factory. As they sneak into the corridors, they're startled by Nick Rostu, Jax's old friend, 
who says he's searching for a droid with information that can help the underground rebellion. Well, so are we, says Jax. It's a droid owned by Prince Shizor of Black Sun. In the factory, Caird stares at Underlord Perry. At first, he thought that Perry and Shizor had tricked him to eliminate Caird and promote Shizor to Vigo. But something's wrong. There's something not quite right about the Underlord. Caird slowly approaches Perry and grabs his arm. The Underlord jumps back, but the damage is done. His skin begins to melt, revealing a droid skeleton beneath the synth flesh. Confused, Caird asks Shizor what is going on. The Faline says it's a prototype called a human replica droid. Shizor wants Black Sun, but he can't simply kill the Underlord. The other Vigos will turn against him. But if Shizor can eliminate the Underlord quietly and replace him with a replica for a few years, then have the Underlord pass the leadership of Black Sun on to Shizor, it may upset the other Vigos, but they won't be able to openly oppose him. Now, as Jax's party sneaks through the factory and closes in on Prince Shizor and the droid, Rastu quietly presses a homing device given to him by Rhinon, calling Vader in the Empire. However, Rastu hopes he can help Jax capture the droid and escape before the Dark Lord arrives. Jax's group attacks Shizor. During the fighting, Jax loses his lightsaber, and it's picked up by the Falling Prince. But Jax receives a light whip from Rastu. Jax and Shizor duel, mostly to a standstill. But they're interrupted when the Imperials arrive. Shizor flees, leaving Jax and his group to deal with Vader. The former Jedi fakes his own death, giving his lightsaber to I-5. The protocol droid drops Jax's lightsaber into the factory's nuclear core, causing a meltdown. But Rhynan sees Jax's group escape and chases after them, meeting up with the group at their shuttle. The story ends with Jax, Larenth, I-5, Den, Caird, Rhynan, and a badly injured Rastu escaping the factory district and flying back to the other side of Coruscant. Time for a break. When we return, I'll analyze the good and bad in Jedi Twilight. Spoiler alert, I'm not sure there's much of either. I'm Aaron Motes. Stay tuned. You're listening to the Star Wars Legends Lounge. Thank you for listening to the Star Wars Legends Lounge, where we celebrate the books from Star Wars Legends. But allow me to take a moment to recommend a book from Star Wars canon. Tarkin tells the story of a scion of Iriadu. A distinguished soldier and politician, Governor Wilhuff Tarkin rises through the Imperial ranks, believing that the fear of force is the most efficient way to rule. It's a story of action and intrigue. That's Tarkin by James Luceno. Welcome back to the Star Wars Legends Lounge, the show that celebrates the books from Star Wars Legends. I'm Aaron Motes, and today I'm talking about Jedi Twilight by Michael Reeves, the first book in the Coruscant Knights trilogy. Now, before the break, I said that I was going to talk about the good and bad in the story, but there wasn't really much of either of it. Now, 
I was being a little facetious. You know, I don't like to say whether things are good or bad, just whether or not they work for me. Because there's going to be somebody who likes this book. I just want to talk about the stuff in the story that works and the stuff in the story that, for me, just didn't cut it. And like I said at the very beginning, I felt that this book was mostly just a set up There are a ton of coincidences in the story. The characters have to get places, and the character storylines all intertwine, even though it doesn't really seem like they should to me. You know, the biggest criticism I would have about this story are the coincidences. Rastu is looking for Jack's Pavin. Darth Vader is looking for Jack's Pavin. I-5 and Dan are looking for Jack's Pavin. And they run into him when they're trying to get some information from Roko the Hutt. Jack's Pavin is looking for a droid to help the new burgeoning underground. Of course, that droid is owned by Prince Shizor of Black Sun. But Jax and his group never ask why Black Sun has a droid that would be important to the new rebellion. Turns out, it's not. It's a red herring. The droid has no information that's important to Jax or anyone associated with the underground rebellion. So, I don't really understand some of the things in this book. Maybe if this was my second read-through, I might pick up on some things, but this was the first time I've read this book, and I just didn't see how the storylines went together. Now, what did work for me in this book? I like the interactions between Jax and I-5. I-5 is trying to fulfill his mission to Jax's father, Lorne, to watch over Jax, to help the young Jedi. But of course, Jax was taken from his family as a baby when he showed some acumen for the Force. Jax doesn't remember his parents. Jax doesn't know Lorne Pavin. Their conversations are probably my favorite part of the book. I-5 trying to convince Jax that Lorne Pavin never forgot his son, still loved his son, and that he tried to live his life as a good person, helping those in need the way that the Jedi do. And it was his final wish for I-5 to find his son Jax and basically look over him. And I understand Jax's point of view. My family gave me up. I'm not angry about that, but they're not my family anymore. The Jedi Order is my family. And the Jedi Order is in shambles. It's been destroyed. They have a number of back-and-forth conversations through the story, sometimes bordering on arguments, particularly from Jax's point of view. But I-5 tries his best to understand the way Jax is feeling. You know, he's written as a sentient droid who can understand human emotion. And on some level, 
has emotions himself. He's taken aback by the way Jax tries to force I-5 and Den to leave him alone. But he thinks that if he can remain sympathetic to Jax's point of view, remain compassionate, and tell Jax that he's not there to disturb the way Jax is living his life, to completely upend everything with all these stories about his father and his family, but just to watch over Jax, to be a loyal companion, and to help out where he can. Now, speaking of I-5, I did like the recurring characters in this book. You know, those of you who have been listening to the show for a while know that I read the two MedStar books for the first time back in August and September. And some of the characters in those stories show up here. I-5, Den Durr, of course, Cared, the assassin. And even though Jax Pavan wasn't in those stories, I-5 references Jax a number of times. So this is the first time we've actually met Jax. I am glad that I read the MedStar stories first. I think if I were to have read this story first, and by extension, the entire Coruscant Knights trilogy, I think not only would I have been confused about what was going on, but I'm pretty sure it would have turned me off to the story. It's kind of like dropping someone in a pool and just telling them to swim. You know, if you don't know something about what is going on, either the storyline or some of the characters, then the story has to be kind of special for them to care about it. And the story is not my favorite. There's a lot of things that don't work for me. There are a few things that do. And I think having those characters to ground me in the plot line worked. Another nice little callback in this story is Prince Shizor. Not just that Shizor is in the story. You know, we talked about Shadows of the Empire back in November. But I like how there was a prototype of the human replica droid. We can see the origins of Guri. Those of you who have read the Shadows of the Empire story or read the comic. Of course, that story takes place between The Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi. This story takes place three months after Revenge of the Sith. So, we don't know exactly when Guri was manufactured, but here we see the prototype of the human replica droid. I would imagine that means Guri is probably manufactured a few years before the events of A New Hope, maybe five years before the events of A New Hope. I like the research and development aspect of that. I was kind of tickled when that little plot point was put in this story. And I don't know, maybe in some of these other stories that I haven't read yet, maybe we'll see more of Shizor's attempts to perfect the human replica droid until we get to Guri. One last thing I wanted to mention that I saw in this story, you know how I kind of like to point out the real world 
things that find their way into these Star Wars Legends books that probably shouldn't be there. This one's not that. But those of you who follow the Star Wars Legends Lounge on Twitter know that a few days ago, I put out a tweet with a small little passage that I saw in the book that just made me chuckle. For those of you who are also familiar with Star Trek, might be Star Trek fans, there's a sentence in the book where Nick Rostu is trying to figure out a way to get out of being blackmailed by Vader. And while he's contemplating that, one of the thoughts that pops into his head is the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few, or in this instance, of the one. And of course, those of you that are familiar with Star Trek know that uh, the Vulcans, and specifically Mr. Spock, would really appreciate that addition to the story. Uh, I really like that. I thought it was cute. I thought it was a fun little wink to one of the other major sci-fi slash fantasy fandoms that are out there. So despite what a lot of members of both fandoms say, Star Wars and Star Trek can coexist. There are fans of both. I am. I'm more of a Star Wars fan than a Star Trek fan, but I do like some Star Trek every once in a while. So that was just a fun little thing I saw in the book. Well, time to wrap up. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Star Wars Legends Lounge. On the next one, it'll be the second book in the Coruscant Knights trilogy, Street of Shadows by Michael Reeves. So please join me in two weeks on March 4th. Until then, if you have a question or comment for the show, you can send me an email at swlegendslounge at gmail.com or a tweet at legendslounge1. And I'd love to hear from you. I'd love to have more voices on the show, like we did during the Heir to the Empire episode a couple weeks back. So, if you want to, please feel free to record your own 3-5 to five minute audio file and email it to swlegendslounge at gmail.com if you have an opinion on one of the books we're reading, or if you have a question. That'd be a great way to ask a question. Get your voice on the show. Just remember, record it in MP3 or MP format, please. That'll help me out. Once again, thank you so much for listening to the Star Wars Legends Lounge. I'm Aaron Motes. May the Force be with you. And remember, there's always a bit of truth in Legends. <laughs>